it's so important that parents learn how to work through their own anxieties and their own grief of those expectations too, so that they can support their kids and actually, you know, show up. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Overcoming Anxiety with Dawn Morgan. Good afternoon, good evening, or good morning to you all. Today, I have a guest with me. Gina Nelson has been a licensed clinical social worker for over two decades and has spent the past 25 years of her career helping individuals and families learn to adapt and cope with difficult life transitions. She's the creator of Combating Teen Anxiety and has a proven 10-step method to reduce teen anxiety and give teens the skills to manage their emotions so they can succeed in their future goals. Gina's clinical expertise combined with her personal journey of raising three children through their challenges and her son's gender transition is what really helps her connect on a deeper level and transform the lives of her clients. When she's not impacting lives, she can be found adventuring in the great outdoors with family and friends. Hello, Gina, and welcome to the show. Hi, Dawn. So excited to be here. Thank you for having me. So what is really interesting for me is that you work with teenagers and having interacted with a lot of teenagers over the years through a lot of youth work, uh, that is a really challenging area to work in. So I'd love to hear how you came to work with teenagers. Yeah, no, it's a it's a big question. I'm going to try to give you kind of the short um, answer because I never, I don't think I ever anticipated that I would be working with teens. Um, I am a therapist and um, I had certainly, my, my journey to becoming a therapist came from being a teenager who had anxiety and living in a home with a mom who had a lot of anxiety and not, we never used that term anxiety. I, I think it was kind of a taboo topic. I, I would absolutely say that my mom would have said mental health was not something that she would have ever accessed. And so there was this buzz and frenetic energy. And so as a teenager, I just remember kind of responding to to that energy in the home and knowing that something was really not right, but um, couldn't really put my finger on what it was. And since we didn't talk about it, um, you know, it was kind of the sense of, you know, what's wrong with me? Am I the only one who can't handle what's kind of going on? And and so as, as a teenager, um, trying to control things that I could control, I, I became kind of that really good student who was the responsible one. I was the good one, um, never got in trouble. You know, just I did everything right. Um, there was a lot of critical this happening in the home. My mom was definitely a perfectionist. And um, and I was like, oh, when I grow up, I'm not going to be anything like this. And I'm going to, you know, manage everything and, you know, went to college to learn about psychology and, um, you know, just thought, oh, I'm going to have this all together. Right. And I end up marrying my husband at um, 22, which is young in mm -hmm. today's world and got my graduate master's by 24. So you can kind of imagine just the trajectory of how hard I was on myself and the expectations that I had on myself to succeed and do well um, just by that trajectory. But then I also married um, a, a man who had a daughter. So at 22, I became a stepmother to an eight-year-old, which I thought 
oh, I can handle this. You know, I am a psychology major. I've got a master's in social work. (laughs) (laughs) I can handle all of these things that are coming my way. And, you know, I thought that I didn't really have anxiety. I think at that point, because I controlled so many factors of my life and I, you know, really, you know, could, when I was by myself, I could really achieve and do things. And so I thought, this anxiety thing, this isn't really, I don't really have it until other things started showing up in my life that I couldn't control. Yeah, absolutely. I I actually, I refer to that type of anxiety as like a high functioning anxiety. You know, you're just getting on with stuff. And as long as you keep getting on with stuff, it, it, it's as if it doesn't exist. It's you know, you've got your head in the sand type of thing because you can't label it anxiety because hey, I'm getting everything done. I, I love that that you define it that way. Um I, I think of it as um kind of a superpower for a met for many people and a lot of my clients who are wired like me with that kind of high functioning anxiety. We don't necessarily have panic attacks or things that take us down. Uh, And so we don't recognize it as a problem. We actually see it as a motivator, I think, in a lot of ways. Absolutely. It's what drives you on, isn't it? And it's really, really difficult to explain because I I was the same. That was my anxiety. Well, it's fine. I'll just get it all done. I'll be organized and I'll do this and I'll do that. And nothing's going to bother me. And and then one day I thought, oh, flip, you know, (laughs) this is a bit, you know, I was like spaced out with it all. It It was quite interesting. Yes, yes. And and so I, I find that with so many of the clients that come to me, of, of course, we attract in our practice as therapists, clients that are more like us. So it's not, um, it's not a shock that that's who I, who I attract. When I, I think about um, how anxiety started kind of showing up in my life, and when I started really recognizing it, it was when things in my family life weren't weren't all, um, you know, this tight little box where everything was wrapped up with a bow. And and I found myself trying to kind of hide some of the parts of my life that I didn't find suitable, you know, to my career and to that life that looked really great. You know, I call it the Facebook story, right? On, on paper and to the outside world, we had this nuclear family. We had two other kids. So now we had three kids by, by 27, climbing the corporate ladder. Everything seems like it's going well. But my uh, oldest daughter, my stepdaughter started having a lot of mental health issues that were kind of impacting the home environment. My husband had turned to using a lot of um, alcohol just to kind of numb some of his own anxiety. And so my house was becoming this kind of chaotic place where my work was fabulous. I had control. I felt completely out of control and I was spinning. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy when that happens because, you know, you go from spinning all these plates and everything's just fine and then they there's just too many of them then and they just start crashing, don't they? And and it's like, the, for me, it was like, well, what now? What, how, I can't cope with this. What do I deal with first? What's the, you know, and it just baffles you and gets you really stuck. And I don't know whether that, your experience too. No, I, I did. I felt trapped. I really felt trapped in my own home. And I think there was, you know, the term shame wasn't something we talked about. I didn't even really understand shame until I was introduced to Brene Brown's work. Um, I, I read Daring Greatly, I think, in a 2013. And it was kind of just opened my mind to go, oh, my gosh, there's somebody who's wired like me 
and who's talking about things that we've never talked about. And it was just kind of this wash over me that shame is what I'm feeling. I, you know, I, I don't want people to, this is the part I want to hide from people is the part that doesn't look perfect in my life. And, um, and so it was really this kind of, wow, I have to fix and change something within me. And that's going to require me to walk through some pretty ugly things to be able to open up shame, get vulnerable and come to a place where I could actually talk about it so I could walk through the mess rather than trying to run from it. Yeah. And it's accepting the fact that Especially when you believe that people, other people think that your life is amazing and perfect. For you to then stand up and say, hey, it's not. And all of this stuff is going on. And, but when you, I mean, when I did, when I sort of suddenly said, hey, hang on, this isn't working properly. It was, it was such a relief. But getting there is hard work. It's a very vulnerable process. And it's certainly not something that most people And even my cohort of my friends, like nobody was doing it. And so they kind of thought I was crazy for speaking out and and kind of talking about the stuff that nobody talked about. The more I talked about it, the the more release I had from the anxiety and it just didn't have a hold on me. And I thought, oh my goodness, there's something really powerful here. And, you know, the more I kind of dove into that and and started becoming more vulnerable even with my kids, I started seeing kind of their anxiety start to decrease and how they responded to me started to shift because the frenetic energy that I hated so much in my own family of origin home with my own mom was, was showing up. And I was becoming that perfectionistic, angry, chaotic person in my own home because I was trying to control all these aspects of their life. And, you know, they were teenagers, they were rebelling against it. And I thought, ah, nobody gave me a rule book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't think even if somebody did write a rule book, I don't think it would would fit for probably 99% of the teens anyway. And they're all different, right? Yeah. All are completely different. So, you know, I, I, I started to recognize that I can't control everything. And and by by doing that, um, I found my way into getting more training in shame and resilience and got certified in um, Brene Brown's work called um, Daring Way, which is all about shame resilience and learning how to teach people to be vulnerable. And I just really fell in love with that work. And through that, I kept getting um, more anxious corporate people, people that were highly successful and didn't really find anxiety to be, you know, something that was stifling. They, they saw it again as a motivator, as something positive. And, um, and we started talking about how there's a, a kryptonite side to this superpower, right? That we can't stay in that superpower all the time and that there's a downside and that downside affects social relationships and personal relationships and work relationships. And that's when, I think that's when people go, oh, now, now I'm stuck when all those other, like you said, plates start to fall. Yeah, because the tendency is to stay in the area of your life and focus on the area of life that is working. And the others just sort of get ignored a little bit or pushed aside or or just given lip service. Oh, I, I love that you said that because that I feel so much that that was my life in my corporate world. I worked in the hospitals and I was in control. I used to I used to think I was in control of my anxiety because in a chaotic ICU trauma, you know, um, emergency room kind of setting, I was the calm in the storm and my anxiety was so 
under control because I had to be calm for everything else and all the people that I was working with. Mm-hmm. And at home, it was like a whole different ballgame. So I felt like I lived two lives. I had this this one place where I really managed things. And then there was this, this side of me that was like, oh, nobody can know that at home I can't, I can't control it like I do at work. <laughs> yeah, because your identity is about being controlled and being capable and organized and professional and just knowing the answers to everything and 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 when things start to fall apart you lose a bit of your identity or your perceived identity absolutely that that i think that was so true and so to be able to acknowledge that and bring the shame i had about that yeah to light um was really kind of the turning point of how i not only were attracting um you know, men and women who were adults that were finding themselves stuck at, you know, usually around age 40. It seemed like life just trucked through. And then by 40, people started going, woof, wait a minute. That's when I think was my turning point of, I can't keep this pace anymore. And through that work, I also started working um, with teens and I was seeing teens coming in, you know, that were 15, 16, 17, that were, they were me. They were those high achievement driven kids who couldn't fail, who had to do everything right. And I thought, my goodness, what if, what if I didn't have to wait till they were 40? What if we could, could connect with them in their teens and they could be taught this language and they could learn about shame triggers and all of these things that took me till I was in my forties to learn, um, that I would have loved to have had somebody teach me back then. I know it's crazy how we we have these expectations and whether they are real, most are imagined, we have these standards that we, sometimes we grow up with them, sometimes they're instilled in us through work or, or relationships or whatever it is, but they sort of get stuck inside of us. And we just feel like we need to meet these expectations or these social norms or so-called social norms. And that just becomes a real limiting effect on us as such because we we can't step outside of that because if if we did then we're we're not complying we're not we're not fitting in right or or the perception is we're not going to be successful yes I, I find that um even some of my teens they say if i even let my guard down if i if i even have a little self compassion then i'm going to just fail and i and i think oh my you know oh my goodness this is a this doesn't equate, right? Because they don't have the wisdom, you know, of, of what I can see now at my age, looking back, but they're just, they're so stuck in that, um, that belief system. And, and so when we look at mood regulation and how anxiety is showing up, you see um, this cycle of people who are constantly in this uh, sympathetic energy, you know, fight or flight state in all times. And then they get to an overwhelmed state where they just can't function and they, you know, kind of fall into this place where they are almost like a possum that just kind of curls up and become more immobilized. And so the clients I see kind of are in that, that negative loop of sympathetic, anxious, 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 overwhelmed. Then they shut down and then the voices in their head get really loud and really critical. Yeah, and and that's where the the real sort of stress comes in, and it's the stress that's then very damaging to our bodies. And I worked in a school, I've worked in school several times, but up until last year, and I was horrified at how many teenagers were on anxiety meds 
Yes. You know, it's, it's interesting. I think in today's world, you know, like I was saying, anxiety was not a word that we talked about when I was growing up. But today it's like this buzzword of I'm anxious, I'm anxious. And yet when you when you work with the team and you bring them in and you try to break down that word anxiety and say, OK, what does that mean? Where do you feel that in your body? What um, physical symptoms are showing up that they, they can't they can't identify. They just say, I'm anxious. So a lot of the work is teaching them to be more mindful and present and in their body so they can actually even articulate even a different word. Because, you know, we, we use overwhelm, I think, a lot yeah. when it's really maybe just a little bit of buzz or a little bit of that frenetic anxiousness that's happening, disappointment or anger or something that's deeper, but we just call it anxiety because that's... And labels are so dangerous. I, I... You know, I, I've spoken about labels many times because they become our identity. We get hold of the label, regardless of what their label is. But actually, the only label we should have is human. And all these other, all these other labels, whether you're depressed or you're anxious or you're shy or you're outgoing, they in themselves can become incredibly limiting because as humans, we're far more than just a few labels. Yes, yes. And I think that is what I'm seeing in the teens so much is, especially, um, you know, every time you're talking about labels, um, introvert versus extrovert. Oh. Um, my introvert teens are the ones that are struggling the most with feeling like they belong, that they're important, that they matter, um, that, you know, that whole sense of they, they're kind of in the background and you know, these other teens are talking over them and they just, they, they make up a story about that. And the story they tell themselves is that they don't fit in or they have nothing important to say. And that becomes a new dialogue for them and a new tape that they run. And that's how they, that's the lens that they see themselves in the world with. Absolutely. Things like, well, nobody cares what I do. Nobody wants to hear what I've got to say. And because it's almost like a, a self-pacifying, isn't it? It's something that, that explains or gives you an excuse or a reason and allows you to stay in your own space because while that tape, as you say, is running, that gives you permission to stay there. Absolutely. It's that um, it's validation, right? I mean, we have these negative beliefs and we look to our environment to validate what we believe about ourselves. Yo, if I believe I'm not important and then somebody doesn't listen when I speak. Well, of course they didn't listen when I speak because I'm not important. And it just keeps, you know, it's that out. horrible loop. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so what was your experience with your children growing up then? Has, have, has that had any effect on where you've ended up? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And again, I think that as I described kind of that changing point for me was, you know, one day I looked in the mirror and I thought, I don't want to be this mom to my kids. And I recognized that my own anxiety in how it was showing up was definitely affecting them. And so when I, you know, started to shift and get do the work that I needed to do to let go of some of those things, I started to see shifts in them. And, um, and it was just a really powerful um, transformation because it gave them permission, I think, to start to be vulnerable themselves and to show up as themselves. And you know, and I, and I think you probably, you know, get this as well, just with, with raising kids, there's this such, there's this sense that 
you control and control and control as much as you can until you can't. And um, when my uh, oldest son, son, he's 24 now, but at 17, he uh, had expectations as a parent for who he was going to be and what, you know, he was going to go to school, he was going to go play lacrosse. That didn't happen. I ended up with a sergeant in my kitchen one day um, who said, ma'am, we've got two ways we can do this. You and your husband can sign him in at 17 and, or in two weeks, he's going to come back and sign himself in when he turns 18. And I think that was like a huge like turning point also for me to think, wow, that's when you really know you don't have control over your kids. Yes. And when they, when they make their choices and they might not be, they might not be what you want, but as a parent, it's so important that parents learn how to work through their own anxieties and their own grief of those expectations too, so that they can support their kids and actually, you know, show up in their kids' lives as somebody who who really values what they're doing in their choices. Yeah. And I think it's different cultures because I know um, I, with my children, I have three children, they're all adults now, but as they were going through school, I had expectations for them, but not necessarily, you know, I wanted them to do well, but I, I didn't have anything in mind for them. I didn't expect them to do a particular thing. I was quite relaxed on that. And, but I'm British and my upbringing probably had a big influence on that, but they, and they took some time to decide what they wanted, all of them. You know, they, they sort of flitted around, delayed university. They all went, but, you know, all of that, it just took some time for them to get where they now are. So, and I was pretty relaxed about that, but I do also realise that a lot of parents aren't. And it's, yeah. your beliefs get in the way sometimes. And I see that a lot in the teens, again. Yeah. Not all teens, but the teens particularly that I work with are coming from very high achievement. Yes driven parents. And so the expectations are, you will take AP classes, you will be in every extracurricular activity, you will be scheduled, 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 and you will go to a university and it will be a good university. I mean, th those are kind of the expectations, at least that, that I see here, you know, um, in our culture. And, and so those teens are seeing that and they're, they're trying to abide by their parents' expectations. And if they and all feel like they're failing, their parents are disappointing them. That's a huge anxiety trigger for them and shame trigger. Yeah. Well, we know that it's very young children under the age of sort of five or seven that pick up a lot of beliefs. What is there that young parents of young children can do in, you know, from your perspective that could perhaps stop this happening later? Yeah. Well, that that's great. Um, again, I, I'm going to come from the perspective that parents need to look at their own, their own stuff. And they, you know, anxious parents don't know how to relax. And so they're busy and they control anxiety by being busy. And so a four-year-old or five-year-old, you know, they don't see mom and dad just sitting down or playing sometimes or spending that quality time because they've got to get dinner going and they've got to do this and somebody's coming over and I get the laundry done and you know, there's this perfectionism of the house has to be perfect and I don't have time for the play and the rest. And so I think the, the kids learn that at a very young age that um, that they have to be busy too. Yeah. yeah. It's, 
It's that modeling, isn't it? They just copy everything that they do. Yeah. I mean, my, my teens, when they, when they become like 15, 16, they'll say, gosh, you know, if they sit down and watch TV and their dad or mom walks into the room and sees them sitting, sometimes their parents will say something like, well, if you had time, you had time to, to sit down, you, you should have obviously cleaned your room or you should have had dinner made, you know, because you have all this time. And so, you know, there's different cultural beliefs about play and rest, but I don't think we do a really great job here in the U.S. Uh, and then we wonder why our teens want to shrink away from us and hide from us. Because whenever we see them doing nothing or wasting time or we, we sort of say, well, you know, you could do this or you could do that or help me there or, or, you know, what about your homework? Have you done your homework? And therefore, when they then hide in their rooms or they're always wanting to be out with their mates, we then question why they don't want to spend time with us. And it's, it's sort of crazy, really, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. And... You know, so that's part of opening that communication and being able to, you know, really teach teens how to communicate with their parents because sometimes, a lot of times teens don't feel safe, right? Because to sit and to have a vulnerable conversation, either their parents can't tolerate the vulnerability themselves or there's, you know, there's all sorts of things that happen. But if a parent feels shame, because the teen comes to them and says, hey, I don't really like it when you do X, Y, and Z. You know, quite often if a parent hasn't worked on their own stuff and they're filled with a lot of shame, they might, you know, internalize that or say something like, um, oh, I'm a horrible parent. I know I'm just failing you. Or, or they, you know, they, they start to become almost the victim rather than taking accountability for yeah. things. They, they see it as a challenge and, and, you know, their ego probably pops up as well, which never helps. Absolutely. And so then what does that leave a teen with? It, it makes them shrink more, be more quiet, and also learn it's not safe. It's not safe to express yourself. It's not yes. have feelings. No, it's not great, is it? So so with, when you work with teens, how do they, you know, come along? How do people get in touch with you? Yeah, so um, my website is um, authenticgains.com. And a lot of times um, families will, you know, find me through psychology today or internet searches with anxiety. But, you know, I think once they kind of see a little bit of who I am by, by looking at my website, they, they'll know if, if I'm possibly their therapist. And, um, and then when um, the teens, you know, come in, sometimes, uh, sometimes parents have expectations of what they, they want a teen therapist to do. So parents come in with their own agenda. And I'm always really clear with the parents that I'm going to meet your teen where they are. And, um, you know, whatever's coming up is what we're going to address. So I can't guarantee, you know, like for instance, I've got some clients who might have really strong religious beliefs and they don't want their kid to be talking about anything that has to do with gender identity or gender expression or, you know, non-binary or any kind of identity issue. And I thought, you know, I can't, I can't guarantee that because if they're coming to me, they're coming for a safe space. Now, if there's something that I think we might want to bring mom or dad in and we're going to, we're going to bring them into a session so I could help facilitate a conversation, we'll do that. But I, I just really want teens to always feel safe that knows his space. And do you find that it's parents that reach out to you or, or teenagers? Usually it's the parent. Um, is the parent has identified some level of anxiety in their teen or their teen said, hey, you know, I mean, again, this new 
generation is very open to saying, hey, I'd like to get some therapy. So a lot of times they've even expressed it or they're they're having such behavioral things like obsessive compulsive things showing up or something that is really disturbing and the parents are looking for some help. Yeah, fabulous. And do you work with clients online or just in person? Both. Um, I have a physical office here in Eagle, Idaho. Um, but I, when I left California 18 months ago, I kept my practice. So probably 80% of my practice is still in California. So that's all remote. But even in Idaho, um, I'm finding that in our post-COVID world, a lot of people are loving the telehealth option. Um, so they they can be in their cars or they can hop out of their, you know, work at lunchtime and, you know, on their cell phone and we can have a session and they don't have to worry about driving or, you know, fighting traffic to get into my office. Yeah, absolutely. The online world now is amazing. It's fantastic. I love it. Who who knew that therapy could be done this way? (laughs) It's great. Now, it's been absolutely lovely speaking to you, Gina. What I'd love to hear about is, is two things. First of all, what three things would you throw out there for parents or t- uh, parents of teenagers or teenagers to consider perhaps in their own lives? Yeah. Um, so for starters, um, I would really love parents to you just take a moment to assess kind of their own ability to relax and what what they're modeling in the home for the teens, because the teens, of course, become the identified problem. But more often than not, it's a family um, situation, right? So being able to just kind of assess, how do you feel about vulnerability? Um, You know, what what might be, you know, what might be getting in your way of being just present? Uh, The other thing that I think is really important is just really doing a a values inventory uh, of balance, of what are the things that you really like in life? because so often we get focused on maybe a couple of our values and, you know, we go after achievement or productivity and we look at those as self-worth, but we neglect things like creativity and being out in nature. And, and so parents who aren't balanced, they're not modeling balance for their, for their teens. And so that's a, a huge piece. And then I, I guess the idea of being able to just slow down and be present and try to listen to what's really going on with their teen. I think we want to fix things so often that our teen says, I'm anxious. And, and in, rather than just sitting through those emotions and w- walking them through that discomfort, our, our mind is wired to say, okay, well, let's do this or, or go do this or your X, Y, and Z. And the teen doesn't want solutions. They want to be heard and they need to be taught how to sit with the discomfort of the emotions and learn that they can they can get through them. And, yeah. and I think that's the part. Um, so often I, um, I find that the parents who are afraid to be vulnerable with their kids, they're actually doing them a disservice because their kids are starting to see them from a lens of, oh, they're perfect. They've never had any struggles. Life is just easy for them. Yeah. And I don't believe that for a second. And I tell them, like, I don't believe that for a second. They're showing you what they feel comfortable showing you. But if we could actually get vulnerable and they could share some of their own struggles with shame and anxiety, I think their teens would actually feel so much safer to, to come to them and talk about their own struggles. 
Yeah, and and human experience is all about ups and downs, all the emotions, everything in the whole range is what gives us really interesting lives. To actually be able to feel all those feelings because when we watch a sad movie, we're supposed to feel sad. When something derails us, you know, that is upsetting or irritating or annoying or, or whatever the, the, the feeling is. It's okay to, to feel that. We don't want to dwell in it. We don't want to sort of let it consume us. But it is, it's normal human behavior to have all these all these emotions and all these experiences and life isn't all about rainbows and unicorns and and I think sometimes we forget that bad times are going to happen but that's just part of life's rich tapestry as they say so how oh, I love that yeah I, I think that if teens could understand that struggle is what brings growth yes that yeah Parents can be more honest about that. I mean, we, we certainly know that there's not one successful person out there who hasn't failed at something. And so the concept of having a board to grow is so important, but they won't see that unless they've heard key people in their life really get vulnerable about what that was like for them too. Yeah, and see that everybody fails at some point because, hey, none of us would be feeding ourselves or walking if babies had that attitude. We, we don't, we're not born with shame. We learn no, that. No. Absolutely <laughs> not. So, so Gina, as I said, it's been amazing talking to you and I understand that there's, there's a very special something that you're willing to offer my listeners. Yes, absolutely. Um, I wanted to be able to give kind of a snapshot and um, some real some of my, my best tools to parents. And so I created this uh, free mini course or express course, whatever we want to call it, um, for parents who have teens who are anxious. And, and, you know, my hope is that I can reach as many people as possible, let them be able to actually learn some tools so that they can start implementing some mindfulness and mood regulation for their teen and, and get some success. So, um, so that's a free gift and um, they can get that at um, www.combattingteenanxiety.com. Right. Combattingteenanxiety.com. Uh, combating um, that will take them um, to, you know, to the course and it'll be kind of streamed into their um, email and they can share it with whoever they'd like. Um, I just really want to help. So I'm excited to, to offer that so that parents can feel like they have a little bit of answers, you know, from, from somebody who's been through it. That's, that's amazing. Thank you very much. And we'll actually put the link in the show notes. So if anybody wants to look for that, they'll find it in the show notes. So, well, what a pleasure. It's been amazing talking to you. Pleasure. Thank you so much for, for having me as a guest. And uh, it was amazing just talking through something that we both share and understand and, you know, want to just bring to, to our listeners. Thank you for listening to today's show. Please follow or subscribe to get the latest episodes as soon as they're available. Whilst you are there, please also comment and review as it helps me and other listeners know what is good and what is not. If you would like to get in touch, feel free to reach out to me via the contact details in my show notes or through Facebook at Finding Freedom Club.